Hello, it's good to welcome you to be with us today. I look forward to the time when we can be back together, but I'm glad that we can share with each other in this virtual way. Appreciate the way that you're engaged on our website and Facebook page, and hope that you'll keep doing that as we stay connected through these challenging times. Somebody once asked, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a question that's worth spending some time letting it sink in. Can, can people tell by observing me how I live and how I act that I'm a Christian? Well, this, this morning we come to a portion of the letter of James that actually has long created some theological debate and, to be honest, a, a good bit of controversy. Particularly, it was not liked by one of the early reformers, Martin Luther, and, and he went so far as to say he didn't even think it should be in the New Testament canon, the collection of the New Testament books at all. He called it a straw, an epistle of straw. And it wasn't meant in any kind of a flattering way. He saw it as unsubstantial, misguided, actually an error. Now his, his problem with James, at least from his point of view, was that Luther was trying to help encourage a reforming of the church that had gotten caught up in doing good works and earning favor with God. In fact, some people were even invited to pay money to be able to get a right relationship with God. In theological terms, you could say it was a focus on justification by works. It's what you did that got you into the relationship with God, that got you in in good standing. Now, Luther thought that the writing of James actually lent strength to that, that argument. Now, that isn't what Luther, what James, I think, was trying to say, and we'll see that as a little bit as we go along, but, but that's what Luther was, was convinced of. Actually, the Apostle Paul uh, cautioned about getting misguided into that sense of thinking we need to earn our relationship with God, too, and he, he pushed back, not against James, but against that concept that had become a little familiar in some areas of the church, that the way we get into a relationship with God is by keeping all the rules, all of the law that had been around so long, and all the traditions that had developed over time, that had, that had come to almost to have equal weight to, to the laws themselves. Even Gentiles, non-Jews, if they were to become Christians, there were some that thought that they, they needed to go through the process of all the regulations and the rules that were part of the Jewish tradition, even up into including the circumcision of, of males. So Paul argued in his, his Roman epistle, which is a strong argument for faith in our relationship to God. This is in Romans 3, verses 20 and following. He says, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law, he says, simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because he says our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. 
so we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. Maybe that verse you know more when it talks about we are justified by faith. He, he wrote to the, the, the Christians in Galatia who were dealing with some of that same kind of trouble, how to sort out this principle of how do you get right with God. And he, he took them back to the time of Abraham and he says, Abraham was justified. He was made right by God, not by what he did, but because of what he believed. And in Galatians 3, 6, and 7, here's how he described it. He says, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, Paul says, then are those who put their faith in God. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it's through obeying the law that the person has life. Now, we could do a whole message just on this controversy in the debate, uh, and we'll, we'll say a little bit about what we go through, and because it's a, an integral part of being able to understand the text is the only reason why I said it, but if I keep going in this direction, some of you are probably yawning already anyway, so we'll just, we'll just focus especially on what this text is trying to say. I'm not so much concerned this morning about the conflict as the critical application of the takeaways that James would have us to understand through reading his word. Well, let's dig in. If you've got a Bible or if you can follow and look on the screen, we're going to start in James 2, chapter, uh, verse 14 through 17. What good is it, James says, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm, and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, he says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Okay, here's, here's the first takeaway I want you to put in your head and your heart. And that is that faith is more than just saying something. Faith is more than just saying something. Uh, James uses the hypothetical. You, you ever done that with somebody so that they don't feel uncomfortable, like maybe you're talking about them, you say, well, let's suppose this or that happened. Well, that's what he's, what he's doing here, which was a, kind of a common rhetoric device, uh, device back then. He wants to get in their heads before they get too defensive. He says, let's, let's suppose there is someone, someone who is a part of the church family because he describes them as a brother or sister who are nearly naked or at least are in tattered rags. It's obvious just from a casual glance that they, ha- glance, they haven't had a meal for a long time. You notice them and you even talk to them. Now, now Jesus told a story little side road here. He told a story one time about, a, about a, a guy who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst thieves, and they robbed him, and they beat him up, and they, they left him for dead. And there were three people that came by. Two of them were religious people, and they looked and went over to the other side of the road because they didn't want to get engaged and went on about their business until finally an outsider, a Samaritan, was the one who finally came by, and he stopped and actually touched and ministered to this broken guy and took him to a place where he could could be well. Now, 
Back to James's hypothetical, uh, at least James doesn't say you just looked at this guy and walked off. They actually did say something. They got noticed, and the person was even spoken to, unlike in the parable. But that almost makes it worse because of what they had to say. You see, they saw this severe need of this person, and what they do is they say, well, goodbye, good luck, good day, stay warm, eat well, hope everything turns out okay, um, it's going to cost me if I do any more than just say this. Now, they didn't add that in, but that's what's in the back of their mind. They're sympathetic words. They are positively affirming words. Maybe even they are spiritually intended words. But it's kind of like just saying, God bless, I'll be praying for you, but right now I'm kind of busy and can't do anything right now. I hope it works out for you in the end. James almost would imply that a pagan would look at this and say, well, that that's ridiculous that somebody would be that indifferent. Who would be so callous as to see all of that and do absolutely nothing? Just to offer words. Well, let's pose our own hypothetical. These are crazy times. I don't have to tell you that. We've got all kinds of stuff happening around us that we would describe as hard times. And we're probably engaged in social media. We put up posts and we talk about people that are hurting here or there. We participate. We say things. We we add our comments on the suggestion, but how much does it move beyond just talk? We might feel sorry for somebody, but do we feel $50 worth of groceries sorry enough to drop it at somebody's house to help them out? Now, I've got to be honest. I love some of the posts that we've seen on our Christ Fellowship uh, Facebook page. Uh, Peter Overbeek uh, put one on a few days ago. He said, beware church family. There are kids from our youth group delivering care packages to your door. I just received a package of two rolls of toilet paper, one box of Kleenex, and a container of Clorox-style disposable sanitary wipes for sterilizing stuff. Great kids showing us all how to go out and be the church. Just this past Friday, there was another that, that popped up. Had a picture of these products that had a little tag on it that said it was compliments of Christ Fellowship Youth Group. And it went on to say... If you'd like us to pick up your groceries or run errands, you can call them with a name and a number. And then this final word, we care, we want to help. Somebody ought to do something. That's, that's the sense of this hypothetical. But there are a lot of good people who only say something. Now our kids aren't among them. They've gone out and done something. They have provided a, a powerful example for us that are older to say, if you care about people, don't just talk about people, do something for people. You don't just say, well, I hope you find some help, I hope you get some food, I hope you get a ride to the doctor, good luck on that, Godspeed, things will turn out okay tomorrow, we wish you well. If our Christian faith is only about saying things and not doing things, James says it very bluntly, he says, what good is that. What kind of real faith is that? Talk is cheap, so they say. Where's the proof? Now, time and time again through the years and centuries past, I would say that the church has often been at its best and its strongest in periods of crisis. Whether it was a, a long-ago global plague or a devastating hurricane more recently or a tornado or an earthquake or, or a fire, in the wake of Hurricane Harvey, one of the disaster leaders among the United Methodists down there said that, that 
he liked to think of these as God moments, opportunities for the church to come in. And very often those that were providing the greatest help were identified as people of faith who come in and put action and not just words into their response of love. And I wonder when the stories are told about the coronavirus pandemic in the future, what kind of stories will or will not be told about the church, about how God's people are being his hands and feet to do something. It won't just be what we say and how many posts we make on social media. It will be what we do. A noted uh, psychologist, Dr. Alfred Adler, expressed an interesting theory about individual personality. He said, when dealing with people, trust only movement. Life happens, he says, at the level of events, not of words. Trust movement. He went on to say, we're not what we say, but what we do. What we do is the real key to our intentions, or to put it in a more familiar way for us, actions speak louder than words. If you want to find out what actually is driving someone's heart, notice what they do, not just what they say. So James summarizes this section with these words. He says in verse 17, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Or I like the way the message captures it. It says, Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? People remain hungry, naked, broken, unhelped. James says, do something. Faith is not just about saying something. Second takeaway. Faith is more than expecting somebody else to do the work. Now, there's a defensive argument that you kind of see coming up here. Imagine somebody who, who says in verse 18, Now, someone might argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Some people say, well, you know, doing is just not my thing. That maybe is more your thing. And it kind of dresses up the defensiveness in religious clothes. Now, Paul didn't make an argument that, that there are different gifts. The church, the body of Christ, has all these different parts. He says it this way in Romans 12, verse 4. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things. So if God has given you the ability, and he goes on and he lists a bunch of different things that God has blessed people to be able to do. And then finally, he goes on in verse 9 to say, don't just pretend to love others. Others really love them. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now, it's kind of interesting because when we get this section, it's not so much that he's talking about how we divvy up the gifts. This seems to be more of a, a universal responsibility for all that are there. Right after he talks about all these gifts, he doesn't just say, well, some of you only have the gift of love, or some of you only have the gift of working hard, or some of you only need to be ready, and the rest of you don't need to be ready. These acts he, that he talks about seem to be universal. It's not just expecting somebody else to do it, but it's for all of us to do it. 
He doesn't say that just some of us are called to do good deeds, while other of us are just supposed to have strong faith, that some of us are supposed to be heads that figure out what needs to be done, and some of the rest of you are supposed to be hands, which leaves me out. You know, I'm going to figure it out, and you do. Last time I looked, we've all got hands. All of us have the capacity to serve. All of us have the capacity to love. Too often, I think what we do is we, we rationalize our inactivity and we say, this just isn't my thing. You do this, I'll do my thing, I'll watch from the sidelines. Some of us do, others of us encourage. In fact, I'll even pay you a little bit to, to do that for me. The message conveys the last part of verse 18 in this way. Not so fast. You can no more show me, show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together like a hand and a glove. When James is talking about faith and works, he's, he's letting us know they just can't be separated. They are demonstrated to be an integral part of each other. There was a native that came into a remote village who was not known by the missionary who happened to be working in that village, and the missionary recognized that, in fact, the guy was from some tribal region far away from him. And the visitor asked the missionary what he was teaching. And the missionary said, have you ever heard the gospel? And the man said, no, I have only seen it. And he went on to describe the Christian who had bought the, brought the message of Christ into his community. You know, I, I suspect one of the greatest reasons why the gospel's mission has not made it into the world as much as it ought to is because a lot of people... Maybe they've heard, but they've not seen the gospel. They've not seen how a, how a Christian loves and touches and works. In Matthew 5, verse 16, it says, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It's not someone else's responsibility to do the work of loving and caring and serving. That's mine. Too many churches, and I'm thankful this isn't one of them, have people sitting on the benches when only a few are actually doing the work. I, I think one of the things I love about Christ Fellowship about as much as anything is how, how dramatically people are engaged in doing stuff and sharing their life and their work and their labor and their love. Oh, there's still more. Here's another takeaway, a third one in here. Faith is more than just believing the right things. Verses 19 and 20, he says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Now, one of the, one of the primary beliefs in, uh, in the, the, the understanding of the Jewish faith was based in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It's called the Shema passage. Shema is a Hebrew word for hear. That's how the, how the verse starts out. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a basic tenet. And then it goes on and talks about how, how we're to love God, this one God without our heart, heart and soul and strength. But it's the first words that are echoed in what James has to say in 2.19. He says, you believe that there is one God. But quickly he says, Oh, good for you, but the, the demons believe that as well. They know who God is, 
but it has not changed their lives. They believe in God, they just don't act like it other than the fact that they tremble when they're around Him. Anytime Jesus was confronted by demons, there was a time or two when He asked the demon what His name was, although Jesus surely probably knew ahead of time. But the demons always knew who Jesus was. They didn't have any trouble understanding who God was or even believing who God was. It's just that they didn't care. They, they were motivated in their life by something else other than their knowledge. James seems to be saying here, just being orthodox, believing the right things, does not necessarily lead to doing the right things. There's a couple words that you can play with. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. One of them has to do with believing the right things and the true things, and the other is doing the right things. You know, if you gave a Bible content uh, test to a demon, they might do better than you. They may be more schooled in theology, but it does them a little good, James says, because it's just something that's in their head. It doesn't change the way they act. Now, over time, we have argued about a lot of tenets of faith and doctrine. Some of them have been significant, and some of them, quite honestly, have been insignificant. We have argued in a way that allows us to be able to define our differences, to demean those sometimes who believe things that we don't, so that we can attack them by saying that somehow they're not orthodox in their faith. But I would also suggest is probably set back the mission of the church about as much as anything. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that right doctrine is unimportant. But sometimes we can spend so much time trying to get the words right that we don't get the deeds right. We embrace the argument in a real aggressive way. And I only wish we just did that much energy and put that much energy into to our action, into our service. It does matter what we believe, but it's not just what's in our head. It's not just what we understand about God. It's how it changes us. Charles Minton puts it this way. He said, It is a good thing to possess an accurate theology, but it is unsatisfactory unless that good theology also possesses us. Jesus, more than one time in his ministry, came up against very proud Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law that were, that were they, they spent their whole life studying the Word of God. They, they, knew the, they knew the Hebrew Scriptures. They understood an awful lot about God, and yet they were so misguided. And Mark 7 tells about one day when the Pharisees and the teachers, the religious leaders, came to Jesus. And, and it's kind of interesting. It says, and this is in verse 2, chapter 7, he says, they noticed that some of the disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Now, you probably didn't know that. They didn't have coronavirus back then, but they had a very, very a ceremony, religious readings, not reasons, not for, for the other. Uh, and there's a little aside here that's in, in the text. It says, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, didn't eat until they had poured water over their cupped hands in a very specific way, required by the tradition. Similarly, they didn't eat anything from the market until they'd immersed their hands in the water. And this was only one of the many traditions that they clung to, such as ceremonial, washing, ceremonial washings of cups and pitchers and kettles. So then he goes back to what the Pharisees have to say to Jesus. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked Jesus this, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat 
without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Now, Jesus was a, was a calm, loving guy until he was dealing sometimes with these self-righteous, sanctimonious souls. And so his response was, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips. We talked about what we say, but their hearts are far from me. These are harsh words, but James uh, realizes that those that, that critique so much about faith but don't act on it in any real way have a worthless form of faith. Chapter 2, verse 20, here's how he puts it. How foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Well, the message says, use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hand? James says that that's not the way it is supposed to work, only just what you believe. If you don't put that faith into action, which leads to the last verses and the final takeaway, the final argument that uh, James makes for us today, and that is that faith is when belief gets put into practice. Now, we've been kind of talking about that all along, but let me just sum it up in this. Faith is when belief gets put into practice. Verses 21 and following, James says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the, on the altar? You see his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's how he got a right relationship with God was through, through faith. But he also was called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not by faith alone. Now here's, here's where Luther got frustrated with James, and I think where James a lot of times can get misunderstood. Uh, James, like all, I think understood that we are saved by grace. And I don't think that he's trying to say we get right with God by what we do, by those works that we perform. It's not just of anything other than faith alone that gets us there. James and Paul are not talking about the same sort of justification that I think that a lot of times we try to impose on the two. They're, they're talking about two different situations in life. Talk, Paul is talking about how faith gets us, gets us to our judicial judgment, how God pronounces us innocent, that he forgives us. And I think what James is talking about here is the validation of that gift of God to us. Or he's trying to argue for faith that works. He pulls up uh, also the example of, of, of somebody that you, you'd almost be surprised that he pulls in. You've got Abraham, the father of the faith, and you've got Rahab, the prostitute. He says in verse 26, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid these messengers and sent them safely away in a, a different way. She, like Abraham, didn't earn her salvation, but she confirmed it. She kind of ratified it, or had God ratify it, by the fact that she had a faith that worked. She got the spies off and away, and it safely allowed her not to be lost. James speaks of the dynamic energy in verse 22 that exists between faith and works, about how work makes faith 
complete. It was faith that prompted Abraham to do an absolutely unthinkable thing, to be willing to sacrifice his son, who was the heir of the promise that God has given him. He had a faith that worked. And Rahab believed enough that she put her faith to work and spirited the spies away and saved her house that was perched up on that wall, the rest of which all fell down when the children of Israel came in and they, they defeated Jericho. Uh, Tim Keller, I think, says in a, a good summative way what, uh, what we need to understand about this faith that works. He, he puts it this way. He says, the gospel is not about something we do, but about what has been done for us. That's, that's how we get justified. And yet the gospel results in a whole new way of life. The grace and the good deeds that result must be both distinguished and connected. The gospel, its results and its implications must be carefully related to each other, neither confused nor separated. They're not the same thing, but they need to exist with a real connection. He says one of Martin Luther's dictas, uh, a statement of his belief, was that we are to be saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. Even, even Luther admitted that we are saved by faith, but it is not just a faith that just stays by itself. His point was that the true gospel belief will always necessarily lead to good works. But salvation in no way comes, Keller says, through or because of our good works. Faith and works must never be confused for one another, but neither should they be separated. We are surely saved by our faith, but working our faith together completes, connects that belief and that action. An old boatman illustrated it this way. He, he, uh, he painted faith on one of his oars and works on the other. And when he was asked for the reason, he he said, well, I'll demonstrate. He took the, the oar that had faith on it, and he slipped it into its place, and he pushed out into the water, and he, he rowed with that one oar. And obviously, if you've ever rowed a boat, you know what happens when you row just on one side. It just kind of goes around in circles. And he, he came back in, and he said, okay, uh, that didn't work. And he pulls out the oar that has work and leaves faith on the, on, on the shore, and he goes out, and he, 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 he pulls on the other side, and the only difference is that he goes the other way, uh, in, in circles. And finally he comes back and he puts both of them into his hands and he's able to pull himself across the lake. When he, when he comes back to the wharf, he says in really kind of in a simple illustration that you need both of these things working together in your life if, you're find, if you find uh, purpose and direction to get across the lake or to to get across life. Faith and works are not intention, but they are intimately and essentially connected. Well, let me tell you one last story before we close. In his book, uh, The Conspiracy of Kindness, Steve Shogren, who was the founder, first pastor of Vineyard Community Church, opens up the first chapter, and he tells this amazingly true story. He says it was a, a typical hot and humid day, maybe like this weekend, uh, but a summer in Cincinnati, and Joe Delaney was out with his son, Jared, his eight-year-old son, and they were playing catch in the, in the backyard. 
and they were lobbing the ball back and forth, and most of the conversation was, was pretty casual. They talked about the Reds, they talked about friends, they talked about summer vacation, and then suddenly the conversation took a kind of serious turn. He said it was kind of like the feeling that you would have if he was playing in the minor leagues, and then suddenly he was heading into the, to the majors. Because his son looked up at him and he said, Dad, is there a God? And he thought of a lot of tried answers that he could come up with, but he opted for honesty and he said, uh, Jerry says, I, I don't know. Um, Joe's agnosticism uh, really didn't stifle his son's curiosity. He just, they kept up their pitching back and forth, but he kept asking other questions. And finally, the the eight-year-old so, said, if there is a God, uh, would you know him? Would there be a way to, to know him? And Joe, the dad, said, well, I, I don't know. I don't really have any idea. I only went to church a couple times when I was growing up, and I, I really, really don't know an awful lot about these sorts of things. Well, his son kept thinking, and they kept pitching back and forth until suddenly he t- turned and ran back towards the house. And he said, I'll be back in a minute, and I've got to get something. And he came back out, and he brought back this mylar helium-filled balloon that he had gotten. He'd just been to the circus uh, not long before, and it still had enough to, to kind of float. And he, he brought it back in a string and an index card and a pen. And he, his dad asked him what he was going to do, and he said, I, I'm going to send a message to God, airmail. Um, and before he could protest, he, he wrote on the card this, this prayer. Dear God, if you are real and if you are there, send people who know you to Dad and to me. Joe kept his mouth shut um, and uh, didn't want to dampen this enthusiastic faith or whatever it was that was coming from his kid. But as they let the balloon go, he, he silently thought this, God, if you are there, I hope that you're watching this. And after they let it go, they all watched it and their faces went on into the sky. And about two days later on a Saturday, they stopped to get a free car wash that was sponsored by the Vineyard Church that was holding as an outreach effort, which they did. And Shogren gets into the story right here because he's actually the guy that is helping to be able to wash the car. And as they're going through the buckets and the soap and all that kind of stuff, uh, Jared's dad asked Shogren, he says, well, how much? And he says, oh, it's, it's free, which caught him by surprise. He was kind of intrigued. You know, why would they do something for nothing? And he asked him, he said, why, why would you do this? And Shogun said, we just want to show you that God loves you in a very practical way. And he said it was that simple statement that opened up this long, closed door in his heart. And so he asked the question, he says, wait a minute, are you guys Christians? And Shogun said, yeah. And he said, well, are you the kind of Christians that believe in God? <laughs> Shogun kind of chuckled to himself, and he said, yeah, we're the kind of Christians that, that believe in God. And he and his son both shared a deep grin, and he proceeded to tell him the story about the balloon and the card and what they had done just days before. And then he said, I guess you're the answer to one of the strangest prayers that God has ever answered. Maybe. Maybe not. Frankly, I wonder how many Jareds and Joes are out there in this world that aren't, aren't so much opposed to God and are not even indifferent to what God's all about, but they've just never experienced Christians with a generosity of love and care and service that so impressed them that they were, they were curious enough to want to find out more. 
No, maybe it's a care package that you put on somebody's porch or a meal that you help serve or bring in or fund at an inner city mission. Maybe it's a winter coat that you haven't worn in years and you need to give away so that somebody else can be warmer. Maybe it's a fatherless kid who's in your in your neighborhood that would desperately love to have somebody to play, throw, catch with them. Time. Whatever gift it might be, are you using the opportunities that you have to take what's in your head and your heart and what God has blessed you with as far as your faith to be able to translate that into action? James ends up this whole section that we've studied today with these words in verse 26. He says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. It's not about trying to do something to gain God's favor. I'll, I'll never earn my relationship with God. Uh, that, that's, that's clear. We've all sinned, fallen for, fall short of God. But through grace, God has accepted us. He has breathed into us a life that should change not only how we feel and how we think and how we talk, but what we do. So let me go back to this, that question that I asked you at the very start of the message. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? James is all about faith that works. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for the fact that you have... Uh, cared enough about us to be patient and loving with our stubbornness and sometimes our indifference. Uh, and I, I thank you for words that you have inspired in writers like James and Paul to help us understand the dimensions of, of faith and works and how we get in a right relationship with you and how we, how we live out that right, right relationship. And I pray that something that we have heard this morning might spur our spirits. God, uh, the worst thing that could pop that could ever happen about us uh, sharing all this information would be for us to have listened in all of our collective places and heard everything that James has to say and everything that you're trying to say to us and then we just go back go out and say well that was that was good I learned something but then never do anything about it so God what I would ask for you to do for us is to uh, cause us to be more sensitive to some of those needs that are around us that you might somehow even bring people into our paths and in our ways so that we, we could say something or do something for them that would help lighten their life, especially at this, this crazy time. I thank you for how you teach us, but even more, God, I pray that you will change us. And I ask this through the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture as we close out here because we're going to share communion, and hopefully you've been able to bring something together in your home and you can, whether you're by yourself or with your others, as we do this close to the same time or in the same way, it's a way that we're drawn together. And as we get closer to Easter and as we think about what's ahead there, I'm reminded of, of how Jesus gathered his disciples in the, in the upper room for that Passover meal. And one of the remarkable things that he did while he was there he knew that his hour had come and he was going to leave this world to return to the Father, is what John says. 
But in the course of the evening, he says, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began, began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had around him. I'm going to be honest. If, if I knew that I was going to die the next day, I don't, I don't think that the first thought that would have been going through my mind was, how can I wash somebody's feet? I mean, they're, they're arguing about who's important and not important before that night is over with. They're, they're struggling back and forth to each other. So let me, as we take this communion, invite you to ask yourselves, how, how can I pick up a basin and how can I pick up a towel? How can I take the faith and what God has shown me through the example of Christ and through the gift of forgiveness that he's brought in my life, what can I do to be able to serve somebody else? What can I do this week to be the hands and the feet of Christ? Let's pray, and then we'll share the meal together. God, for, your broke, for Christ, for your broken body and for your, for your blood, we give you thanks. We pray as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup that we'll be reminded of the sacrifice, but I hope that we'll also Remember and let this scene be imprinted on our hearts of, of how you bent down and pulled your outer garment up out of the way and put a towel over your shoulder and washed your disciples' dirty feet. Help us to be your servants in this world. We pray all this through Christ. Amen. kept going right they kept going right <laughs> that's good because I don't want to start over that's that's one long take so did you make it back there you can fall asleep that's good <clears throat> I'm just gonna leave this liner on this thing up here if somebody wonders what it is it's for me Yeah, it's got a better, it has better quality. Let's go, yeah. That's good. All right. Well. Well, nice and now I took like maybe twenty percent of my battery of that. So. Oh, that's good. Well, it helps yeah. you to know. still do something at home. I could, if I had to take something there, I could do it with a webcam that I've got on mine. I yeah. could even, if I had to, I could mix the slides or something like that and send you okay. a, 
don't know, what, are, what would you use the, uh, are these, uh, what's the format that this is going on? Is it just a empty? What? Just a, just a mean, regular movie, movie file format? Yeah. You okay. could do like okay. send me a P4 every time. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. Hey, thanks for all your work. All right. I know you got nothing else to do. Uh-huh. Today, uh. And more got pretty noisy there at that one spot. Yeah, I know. I just, I, I hope. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. It's probably a mic is enough to kind of vocal power yeah. and stuff. I hope so. Yeah, well, if not. If it doesn't, hey, it's what it is. We'll just, yeah. we'll just be able to hear the lawnmower out there. Yeah. So. Like, wow. There was All something right. going on. Someone was mowing on. Like you said, someone was mowing on Sunday, Sunday morning. Mornings. Well, the other day it sounded like somebody when that whistling that one Sunday it sounded like somebody had a chainsaw going out there. Oh, with oh yeah, with the wind. We yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't turn anything off. Oh, that's good. You did anything? Nope. Cool. All right. Howard's All right. Help, help, help me put on some new uh, doors on my shed. Oh, okay, that sounds yeah. good. We'll yeah, stop yeah, raining. Get rid of. Uh, not today. Uh, oh. But, uh, tomorrow, I do. I'm gonna come back out. Okay. We got materials today. Where do you live? Mason. You live near, you, you live in church, don't you? Didn't you say you live near yeah, like Mish House? Minutes, yeah, like five minutes from both CCM yeah. and, and Mish. Is it pretty quiet up there? Or yeah. 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 Can I, my, my, uh, replacing my metal doors on yeah. my metal shed with some wood wood. I think uh, Mason even had trouble with their uh, internet connection yeah. last, last Yeah, time. everyone, Tom Rutledge said that uh, it was just everyone was having I think I think what happened is everybody tried to live stream and yeah. uh, there isn't, there really, it's kind of nice to do that, but man, you were ramping up the things that could go wrong by a, yeah. a bazillion. Yeah. And then if you've got poor internet connection and you're trying to load it that way. So you're just doing like the premiere, or are you doing do some releasing, or how are you, how you doing? Yeah, that? I'm, just, I'm just gonna upload it and make it, then I can set, set a date and time yeah. when yeah. it's available. That yeah. should work. Cause it'll once be, that editing, I'll just upload it to YouTube and. Right, and it'll have, that'll have all there. Yeah, all right, all right. Then hey, that uh, button that's on the YouTube button that's on yeah. the page will go right to the right to the video. Okay. All right. That'll sound good. All right. All right. Thanks, See man. Guys. Appreciate it. We got everything. Anything else? You guys. Well, you can look at these. I don't think there's anything. I got my glasses on, so. Well, I find more glasses. We finally found a mirror, so that was a good thing. That it, it <laughs> little steps. We needed a mirror and that's all good. Oh, okay. Come on. I tell you what, these these overhead mics we got do a pretty good job picking me up because when you were talking, I could hear you through the uh, just now. I could hear you through the pain. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they do a really good job picking you yeah. picking you up. Yeah,